We start in uh, chapter 20, the matter of authority. There's a question asked by the religious leaders. They ask it to Jesus. And so, where is he at at the time? It says, on one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple. That's what he did whenever he came into Jerusalem. Came into the temple to teach. That's what Jesus always did. That is his ministry. To teach, to heal. He was doing that also. He did like he did for three years. Teaching. Jesus is the teacher. He teaches us who He is, what He's about, and what He has for our lives. I want to know that, right? This is the Word of God. That's What else is He going to teach? What else? He teaches the Word of God. By the way, He is the living Word, isn't He? So He's teaching Himself. He's teaching the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. He's teaching the Gospel of the good news of the glory of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Kingdom of God. The whole counsel of God. That's what He did. He's teaching. If you look back in 19, verse 47 from last week, it says here, He was teaching daily in the temple. He wants people to know His truth, His grace, His gospel. Forgiveness of sins. Repentance of sins. About the second coming even. Yes, He teaches all of that. teaches all day long. Into the night. That's what He did every day. That was His life. That's what He's about. So... (coughs) says he's preaching the gospel, chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. Imagine that. We little men coming up to God Almighty of the universe. And they're asking him a question to try to get him stumped so they can arrest him. This is the council. Chief priests, scribes, elders. Together, these three groups comprise what is the Sanhedrin. Often you'll see that word Sanhedrin in the Gospels and it means really the judging, ruling elders. The Supreme Court of Israel is what this is. This is the Supreme Court. The 70 made up the Sanhedrin. It's a ruling body. The president was the high priest himself. He presided over all the matters. So there we have the council. We have Jesus teaching. Here comes the council. They're going to get Jesus now, aren't they? Well, we've got Jesus on our side, folks, and we win every time. Praise God. Tell you what, I'm a Kansas City Chief fan. And I sure hope they win and get at the Super Bowl and win that. I really do. I'm really for that. But it's not my chief reason why I exist and live. It's fun. I enjoy that. If they lose, so, so be it. Uh, there's no guarantee they're going to win. Sure would like to see that, but I don't know. They may win. They may lose. <laughs> there you go. So, this 
Man, Jesus wins every time. Never a loss. He's totally undefeated. Every time. This is our God. We win, folks, because He has authority. Absolute, total, final authority. So, they have the question. It is, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. Or who's the one who gave you this authority? What right do you have to do what you have done? It's a basic question in life that we all have to answer. Every living being is responsible for this question. Who or what is the final authority in life? Who is it? Who determines right and wrong? Who determines that? Who said you could act as you do? Have you answered for your life? Who is your final authority when it comes down to it? You say, well, I let my conscience be my guide. Or you have to do what you want to do for yourself. Well, yeah, that doesn't... Boy, I don't know if that sounds right, but I just got to do what I got to do. Yeah. Oh, you get that all the time, don't you? Whatever it is, you know, just make yourself happy. If you have to do it, then you go ahead and do it. Even though it's wrong? Well, it's my life. I've got to do what I've got to do. It's your life. You've got to do what you've got to do. What informs your conscience? You say, well, I just feel inside what is right. This is right for me. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, they did. All the way through, isn't it? Of course, we see that in Judges, but you see it all through man's history. He does what's right in his own eyes. Regardless of the truth is standing right in front of him. What's right? You know, I've heard of hired killers who could shoot a man in the face without a twinge of conscience. doesn't bother them at all. All the murders that we've had, like in Columbia and Jeff City, you know, it seems like those guys don't have a conscience. It doesn't even bother them anymore. That's how hard-hearted and calloused that our society in this world has become. Of course, you think of abortion, it doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother them the conscience. Some it does, but the laws in our land say it's okay to kill babies. The Germans had their laws to cast gas the Jews. That was what was right as far as they were concerned. What authority, by what authority do you live your life? Do you have any authority or is it yourself? Right? Our society used to be a Judeo-Christian as far as standards of law, of truth were concerned. They were moral absolutes that came from the Bible. Even non-Bible-believing nations still had moral standards. And to some degree, they still do, and we do. Mostly, not really, we have rejected the moral base. Our judicial system is in crisis. 
a crucial question is how do we determine whose morals we're going to legislate? How do we do it? Is it going to be the truth of the Bible? Or is it going to be what people believe in their own opinions? Authority. What, what's the word mean? The word is exousia. Exousia means the right to do something. To have all authority then is to have all the rights, all the power to do everything and anything one wills to do. That is absolute authority. There's only one that has absolute authority. That's Christ. It's God. We know that, don't we? Go out and tell that to the world. At least 90% of the people are going to say, no, no. That's, that's in your own thoughts. That's okay for you to believe that, but not for me. Right? They have no moral standards then, do they? Only what they want it to be. What things they say. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things or who is the one who gave you this authority. What authority you're doing these things. These things. Jesus comes into the city, does the triumphal entry march. Comes into the temple the next day, cleans house, wipes out everything as far as their money and sacrificial system was about. He had taught in their temple after that. After he cleaned the house, he walked in there and did it all day, day, day after day to the crucifying. He healed people. So those are some of the things that he's been doing that he has done just that week, these things. Look at John 2.18, the very first time that he came to Jerusalem in his ministry at the Passover. And what did he do? He cleaned the house out that time too. That was the first time. John 2.18 We've seen the context in 15. He's the scourge of cords and the whip and sheep and oxen and the money changers and the money. The tables are overturned. You have the doves and all of that stuff going on. And then he says, zeal for your house will consume me. His disciples remembered that. And it says in 18, the Jews then said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? I think right there, Wiping out the place. Who told you you could do that? <laughs> Starts talking about the temple. But he's talking there about him being the temple. They will that temple will go down and it'll raise back up. Talking about his death and resurrection there, as he goes on in that context. So these things definitely would be that temple of what what has happened, but probably everything that's going on. What authority do you have to do this? So these religious leaders 
love their place of authority. Somebody's coming in here. To be able to do that, you've got to get permission to do that. We're not going to let you do that. Of course we're not, right? They have the authority. Turn to Matthew 23. Let's camp out in there just for a moment. That during that time, that week, he characterized who the Pharisees were about. Matthew's account is this. In verse 1 it says, Jesus spoke to the crowds and to His disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Uh, you know what He's saying? They have their own authority. They seated themselves in the chair of Moses. It means Moses' law. Moses has the authority. It's the Word of God. And they took the place there. They didn't get permission from God to do that. But they are the final authority as they have made it very evident many years now. It says um, in verse 5 through 7, here are some of the things that they have in their authority as they are in the seat of Moses. Who gave them the right to do that? God never did. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. What's one of the reasons that they want to be noticed by men? They want to have the authority. They want to have control over everybody. And they want to be noticed. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. And respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. So, with authority, what do they get out of it? Oh, they get noticed. Everybody knows them. They're the greatest, right? Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. And for pretense you make long prayers, therefore you receive greater condemnation. They devoured widows' houses. That means they took their money. They are robbers. Uh, if you look in verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. They're robbers. They are literal thieves, folks. They have no authority at all. They've come in and taken control of the temple grounds and everything that rules in that nation. Now, can you see why Jesus had to come into the temple and do what He did to that oppressive system to the people? They made money out of the deal. And it says self-indulgence. Verse 28, So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know what He's just done? He's just come in and showed their hearts what they really were. They were making a great show. They led in worship. They led in law and everything. Everything. Jesus exposes them and shows the inward heart. Woe to you, 
You never want to hear, woe to you. Do you take Jesus seriously, right? What credentials did Jesus have to have this authority? That's basically, show us your credentials. Well, you know what? Jesus was not ordained by any reputable denomination. Did you know that? Evidently, you have to have authority from men to do what he did. But he didn't have that. He had no seminary degrees. He does not go by title of reverend. I don't like that title. I do not like to be called that. What gave him the right to overturn money changers' tables, to drive out animals being bought and sold? What gives him the right to stop business as usual within that temple? That's theirs. You know what? He had no official training, did he? He had come from Galilee. See, nobody, that's any kind of anybody, really comes from Galilee, especially Nazareth. And he was never under a rabbi. See, to be a teacher like he's doing, you have to come up through the system and go through certain rabbis and be taught and trained by them. But that didn't happen. Let's go to Luke 4.32. Luke 4.32 okay, He was in Galilee. He's teaching on the Sabbath. He's in Capernaum. They were amazed at His teaching for His message was with authority. He taught like nobody else had ever taught in the history of mankind. And people knew it. They were amazed by his teaching, weren't they? Verse 36. An amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits that they come out. So he's casting out demons by the authority of God. So he's teaching. He's casting out demons. Chapter 5 of Luke, verse 24. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus said that. He forgave people's sins and He said it. Only God can forgive sins. By what authority do you have to do that? (laughs) Only God can do that. Chapter 9 of Luke, verse 1. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So there He gave power and authority to even... The twelve, or we know he gave it to the seventy at one time. 
certain powers that only He had and He gave it to them to teach, to do the healings, the miracles. That's power. That's authority, isn't it? The Spirit which prompted the demand of the leaders is too evident to be mistaken here. These men hated Christ. They envied Him because of what He was able to do and they couldn't do. Even though they said they had the power and the authority. You know what? Their power is really waning. Because they can't do anything about what He's just done. He raised a dead man to life in Lazarus. He comes into the city and heals people. He teaches with all this authority. Cast out demons and He's done what He's done at the temple. And they can't do a thing about it until it's time to do it. Only in God's will. They feel helpless, don't they? You know what, folks? That's really what's happening in our world today, even though it doesn't look like it. It sure didn't look like He was winning in Jerusalem, did it? But He pulled off His plan exactly the way that He did it. Otherwise, we don't get our sins forgiven. Yes, He got crucified. Yes, He was killed. But that's the only way that we can get our sins paid for. So God's will was done there. Even though man was sinful in what he did. How do you explain that? I can't. Although it is the heart of man to do that to God. But God can keep it from happening. But His plan is, it says in Acts chapter 2, His plan was foreordained. That's the way that He was going to take care of mankind's sin. And these men are going to be the very ones that prosecute Him, that send Him to the cross. As evil as they are, God is so good. Well, they ought to examine His mighty works. They ought to have examined the Word of God that was preached. Why is it that the Word of God comes to people and some grab it and they trust in Christ, others hear it and they don't? Why is that? Like start off with, they have a hard heart. They refuse to take one course or the other as they ask this question we know. They view this as a trick question. That's really what they're after here. To get him stumped and to be made look looking like a fool. And so they're trying to box him in into a corner. Can we ever box Jesus into a corner? We try, don't we? Because we like to do things the way that we want to do. Well... We don't want to be disobedient, do we? Because He has an answer for everything. Number two now, on our outline, Jesus answers with a spectacular question. This is awesome. This is our Lord. He's on our side. Or we're on His side, I guess. 20 verse 3 and 4. I love this. Jesus answered. It said to them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? That's brilliant. This is the winner here, right here. 
I'll tell you what he did. He did what was traditional, rabbinical style. As he is the teacher, he, that which means rabbi. Some people did call him rabbi. He had a, an answer to a question by questioning them. And that's what rabbis would do to force the student deeper into the issue, to really make them think about it. They ask a question, the rabbi comes back, the teacher comes back and says, yeah, what about this? And now they've got to think further into this. You see, Jesus is not evading the answer. He could just come right with and say, well, I'm God, I have all authority, it's only me. He doesn't even do that because they don't deserve it. And we'll see by the end of this section why that would be foolish to say that. Now, humanly, that's what we would say. Well, who do you think you are? I'm God. What are you, little man? And he could have done that, couldn't he? But he came off with something here that was perfect. It was a, it was a style. And what he's doing is he's unmasking their hypocrisy. He goes into the inside and then lets them speak. And when men speak without the Spirit of God, I'll guarantee you, they're going to say something absolutely foolish and stupid. And they're not even going to know it. If, they're, if you're not filled with God's Spirit, you're going to be thinking different thoughts. If, if you're right, you're going to be thinking either God's thoughts, or you're going to be thinking what? Dennis's thoughts. So, my thoughts, right? One or the other. Matter of fact, you don't have an option. Ephesians 5 says, be filled with the Spirit. That's, that's a command. It's not saying, well, you know what, I've I got to take it easy for a while. You know, that is wrong. That is sinful. It says be filled with the Spirit. How do you be filled with the Spirit? Colossians 3 says be filled with the Word. The Word dwelling in us. If we have the Word of God dwelling in us, we're not going to be thinking human thoughts. What are we going to be thinking? Godly thoughts. Isn't that what we want? That's why I say every week, stay in the Word. Read it every day. Let it saturate your thoughts. Otherwise, your thinking is going to be wrong. Renew our mind daily, right? Romans 12. It's so important. And that's, that's what I say. We all should be just dwelling on His Word. So, He gets right to the heart of it by asking a question like this. And so he says, was the baptism of John from heaven or men? Where did it come from? Well, John the Baptist is the prophet, the one out in the wilderness, you know, the Jordan River, he baptized people with the baptism of repentance. And he pointed to Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. It was the greatest thing that had happened. To Israel, for 400 years, they had the very Word of God spoke to them. And many people were following John the Baptist and being baptized in the river, repenting and desiring the Messiah to come. And he became very popular with the people. 
And he pointed to Christ. Jesus doesn't point to himself here, although that's really what it is, but he's pointing John the Baptist because John the Baptist pointed to Christ. Jesus turns his question over to them. The question regards the source and the authority of baptism of John. Where did it come from? It came from God. It was prophesied in the Word. And when he came, he knew what he had to do. And he was driven by the Spirit to do it. To make way for the one who was coming. And the people were getting ready for that Messiah as they heard John the Baptist preach. A call to repentance. It's accompanied by the promise of one who was to come to establish the kingdom of God. You see, John the Baptist is so popular that the leaders here, even though they didn't like him, and they really have an answer to this, but they can't say it. They're saying, we don't want to get on the wrong side and say that it's, it's not, you know, as far as heaven is concerned, if, he, if John the Baptist is not from heaven, and what he did was earthly and, and man came from men, which is what they really wanted to say, they're going to get in all sorts of trouble. People are going to get very upset. They really like John the Baptist. So, was this the work of men or was it from God? You know what? Jesus has just put them in an impossible dilemma. No matter what they do, they're not going to get it right or do what they want. If they could get it right, they'd just say, well, certainly, it was from heaven. And John the Baptist did what he did from God. And he pointed to the Messiah, which is you. And we worship you. (laughs) They didn't do that, did they? Anyway, they don't believe that John the Baptist came from God. They're not going to say that. They hate that idea. You know what? In Mark 11.30... Gives us a little more punctuation here. You gotta like these writers of the Gospels. You ever looked at, you know, all of them are saying about the same story, but some of them will, will put in uh, punctuation and, and dictation that they have. And, and of course, uh, you know, it's going to be about all of them putting together one great story. It's great to harmonize these. Messages that they have. Mark 11.30 says, Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Answer me. Now, what that is really saying, tell me. Tell me now. Come on now. Tell me. He's pressing them. Give me an answer. Come on. Because he knows that they could just stay silent. You either admit that Jesus is the Messiah or you deny that John the Baptist is a prophet of God. 
You can't admit that Jesus is the Messiah. It's impossible. You better not deny that John is a prophet because that has serious consequences and it would happen right then and there. So we come to the reasoning by the leaders in verse 5. They reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death. For they are convinced that John was a prophet. They know the consequences. They are in a super dilemma. So they reasoned. They deliberated. They dialogued. You can imagine them getting in a corner. Come over here, guys. What are we going to do? You guys understand what's just happened, don't you? Hey, we are on the winning side. We win. If you have Christ in your life, you win, right? If we say from heaven, then why didn't we believe Him? He pointed to Messiah... John the Baptist is saying Jesus is the Messiah. Why didn't you believe Him? If we say from men, all the people will stone us to death for they're convinced that John was a prophet from God. This is called Catch-22. A dilemma. We've got a real problem here, guys. Catch-22 here, guys. You know what? These leaders are doing exactly what politicians that are uh, not true. There are good politicians. There are bad ones. There are many bad ones, aren't there, today? Yeah, very corrupt. Leaders do here what politicians often do when faced with a no-win situation. What do they do? Well, they dance around the query. They dance around that question. They don't really give you an answer. They refuse to take a position. They say some mumble-jumble things and you say, what did they just say? And you're probably saying, well, they're very much smarter than me. And, you know, they have law degrees and everything and they're at the top of the game and, you know, it's just over my head. No, they're doing that because they don't have an answer. And they make it sound good or they just flat out lie. Right? That's even easier. Just lie. It's a losing proposition. Well, that's where these guys are at. And rather than acknowledge their view and being unpopular or whatever, they try to finesse around the question. And so they've gotten together now. This is what they come to the conclusion. By doing so, they give up any kind of moral ground for challenging Jesus If they can't decide about John, how can they decide who Jesus is, right? If you can't really admit who John is, and with all he did, or he spoke, so they refuse to answer the question. So they answered that they did not know, in verse 7, where it came from. Don't acknowledge their view here. They answer that they didn't know where it came from. We don't know. And you know what they've just done? They've self-indicted them by being unwilling to answer the question. 
We don't know. Well, there's no way they can escape this dilemma. Again, Jesus does this to them throughout the time that He's in Jerusalem. They keep asking Him questions and they become more and more like fools because He just keeps beating them in any kind of debate ever. They don't have a chance. And they kept doing it. So, we come to verse 8. This is called condemnation by Jesus. And this is sad. Jesus said to them, No, will I tell you by what authority I do these things? I'm not going to tell you. You know what? He would have told them if they would have given the answer. There's truth there in what they could have answered. And that was the idea. They asked the first question. He said, but I have to to ask you a question. And if you answer it, then I'll give that to you. Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. That is tragic. That's tragic. Jesus is really essentially saying, based on what you've done with the information that you have, and you have plenty of it, you have three and a half years of it, and you've had it right here this week, I'm not giving you any more. He has said all along that He's the judge, that He is the authority, and He's demonstrated it. You know what He's saying? It's over. You have no authority to examine me. And that's what they're trying to do. You know what he's saying? You ever heard people do this? We're done here. (laughs) There's nothing else left to say. You didn't answer the question I asked you. We're done. That's it. They knew the ministry of John the Baptist. They knew that John and Jesus were inseparable. Everything that he said was truth. It was about the gospel. It was about repentance. It was about sin being forgiven and how it was going to be done. It was about the truth of the light of the gospel of the glory of God. You see, there was no point in casting pearls before the swine. Jesus is not going to give them pearls for they don't want it. So why keep at it? You can only get so true so long. And what do they do? They go back. It's like the dogs going back to their vomit. Man, that's a serious thing. That's rejecting Christ. They rejected the light of God willfully. Now we know we believe in salvation by grace and it's God's electing us. But here's the human responsibility which always goes there. How that works, I don't know. But I can say the light was given them. They had full light. And they had full rejection of the light. You know what the problem is? Men love darkness rather than truth. This is judgment. There's no reason to give them anymore. It's judgment on the very religious leadership of Israel. 
judgment. There comes a time when God says, I have no more to say to you. That's heavy, folks. And it weighs heavily on my heart. Judgment. 22, verse 66. I don't take it lightly, and neither do you. We know it's true. Sixty-six, twenty-two. This day, the council of the elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chambers, saying, "If you are the Christ, tell us." But he said to them, "If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask a question, you will not answer." <laughs> That's just what happened. It's continued. They don't have an answer. There is no other answer. He's confronted them to the very point. He is God. There's no other out. There's no other answer. They're stuck in their sins. He says, Now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Is that authority? Yeah. And they said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard of it ourselves from His own mouth. He claimed to be God. That's right, He did. Because He is. He only has the authority there. 23.9 of Luke. And He questioned Him at some length, but He answered Him nothing. What's going on there? There's Herod. King Herod. Trying Christ. He's on trial with King Herod. And Jesus didn't say a thing. Nothing. There's nothing else to be said. It's been done. Go to Genesis 6 3. This is the way of man. All the way back from Genesis to Revelation. This is the way that man is. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. And then the flood came. In 120 years, it happened. His spirit will not strive with man. You know what? He said, well, that's a judging God. Yeah, but what do you see? 120 years that he used Noah to preach the gospel to people about their sins and to trust in God and to get their sins forgiven about grace. His spirit will not strive with man for he did it for 120 years. Is that grace in that sense? Is that mercy? He could have judged it at that time, but he waited. And he let the preacher preach. Nobody listens. Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah. Nine verse thirty. It says, However, you bore with them for many years. 
God withheld His judgment. You know what? He's doing that to the world right now. He's withholding judgment. What happens if He takes His hand off? What if He takes off the restrainer? And admonish them by your Spirit through your prophets. The preachers. The prophets. All through hundreds and hundreds of years, they spoke God's Word. People didn't like it. They killed them. Wouldn't listen to them. Yet they would not give ear. They did not hear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. You just gave them, here, do what you want to do. Imagine the neighbor of Israel today, Syria, would love for God to do that right now, wouldn't they? How about? How about all the Islamic nations? They'd love to destroy Israel, wouldn't they? How about Iran? Iraq? All those other nations, they would love for that to happen. That's what they have planned. That's what they want to do. Well, Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. As we near the end here. But they rebelled. This is over and over in, uh, throughout the Bible. In the prophets, Israel rebels and rebels. God sends prophets, sends the Word of God to them, and they do not listen. It says, they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. You know what the New Testament says? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Therefore, He turned Himself to become their enemy. They're not on the winning side. He fought against them. What chance do they have when they fight against God? We'll look in Revelation and and we see the ultimate. I do like God's grace though. It says in verse 11, Then His people remembered the days of old of Moses. Where is He who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of His flock? Where is He who put His Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Who caused His glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses? and Who divided the waters before them to make for Himself an everlasting name? God led the people out even though they didn't deserve it as they had been in bondage. Moses, He gave Moses to him, and Moses represents the very law of God, doesn't He? I didn't listen. Those who are now His enemies will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Though they would love to cry out loudly as they do now that He was wrong, Jesus was wrong, Close this out with a thought on uh, what J.C. Ryle said about this. The ruin of thousands is simply this. He says thousands. I think he's probably saying millions and millions. Billions. There's six billion people on earth today. And maybe one billion even profess Christ out of those billion. Most of them are not true believers because they go through the motions. So, Ryle says this, that they deal honestly with their own souls. 
they allege pretended difficulties as the cause of their not serving Christ. Difficulties come in life. So now they don't serve Christ anymore, while in reality they love darkness rather than light and have no honest desire to change. And that's what Jesus did. As He posed the question back to them, He opened up their hearts and He exposed them. And they knew what He said. But they were not going to answer what the truth is. How many times can you hear the Gospel and reject the Gospel before the Lord says, I have no more to say. Don't ever let that happen, folks. Show that you are persevering in the Lord every day. You persevere. You can't give up. Don't let that happen. The criteria for receiving further spiritual truth, do you want more? We don't know anything. We're just little children, infants. We know very little about who God is. But thank the Lord that He has given us the truth to know Him. The criteria for receiving further spiritual truth is receiving and believing what you have been given and acting upon it. One last verse, Matthew 28. Speaking of authority, my point this morning is that you be encouraged. And even convicted that we hold Christ in higher esteem than we have. But aren't you encouraged that He is your Lord? Don't you love that? He says in Matthew 28.18, He gave us a command. But first He says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, here's the apostles, look at this, all authority All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There's the authority, isn't it? This is like the last thing He says in a a sense. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them what? To observe all that I commanded you. The whole Word of God. Teach that. And lo, I am with you always. This is great, isn't it? Even to the end of the age. If you're His, forever. And He says, make disciples. Make learners. Is that to the preachers, the teachers? It's to everybody, every Christian. Make them learners. Matitas. And when you do, bring them into the church. How are they brought into the church or the body? Well, they're baptized. Christ does that. But there's a water baptism also that shows what happened spiritually, inwardly, is physically. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you keep teaching 
them to observe all the commandments. That's why church is important. That's why we meet here. Don't ever think it's not important. Or the Word of God is something, yeah, I've heard it and read it all my I've read it. I've read enough. I don't need it anymore. Listen, we are here to learn, to be taught. I'm here to be taught as I worship. To observe what He's commanded. That means to act upon what we know to be truth. You do it, you won't lose it. I thank the Lord for our great Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because He is our truth. He is what it's all about. We're here to encourage each other to keep hanging on to Christ. Let's pray. Father, so thankful for the authority, the authority that was given to Christ. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our friend. He's our brother. He's our shepherd. He's everything to us. And as Lord, He's the one with absolute authority. We're thankful for that because ultimately we're under His rule and His reign and we're citizens of heaven. And in that we take great peace and comfort and we rejoice over that. Thank You, Lord, for Your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I understand by my nose that there's something good back there in the back. And I know that it might take a few minutes to get it prepared and going, but I'll tell you what, I can't wait. Let's hurry. (laughs) Let's do it.